Hello, everybody. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the show, The Big Show, the most important and critically acclaimed podcast that is recorded in our car. Today we are in the red studio, as usual, so it's a little quieter. We apologize about any road noise you might hear because, well, we're driving in a car. And we're wearing uh, headsets, and this is not a studio-quality rig, but it's what we can do. So, there we are. Welcome to the show today. We have a mystery episode. I wonder what it's about. We call it a mystery episode because I know what the episode's about, but my lovely and talented co-host does not. And even if she doesn't know anything about the subject, she'll be glad to talk about it anyway. Truth? It's what I do. It's what you do. So today we are going to actually talk about something that you do know something a little about. We are going to talk more about spring gardening and spring preps and preps that you can make for your garden, even if you don't plan to plant one. Huh? What are we talking about? Well, we just recently did a podcast on manure and preparing soil of the garden. And that got us to thinking, at least got me to thinking, about some of the things that we can do to get ready to grow a garden in a stuff-hits-the-fan emergency that we can have all ready to go, but not implement because you may have a a situation where you can't grow a garden due to time constraint, due to uh, neighborhood rules. Due to all kinds of things. But that doesn't mean you can't prepare to grow a garden. Because here's the truth. Anybody who has never gardened and who does not have an area appropriately prepared for gardening is wasting their time storing a bunch of seeds. Uh, I'd call that an overstatement, but you're not going to get what you hope or expect out of it. Okay. Your yield is going to be a lot less than if you knew what you were doing and had a prepared spot. And you're going to have a lot of failures of things that are things that you would learn if you tried it once, you'd learn that that's not going to work. Yes. And you would, you'd try and plant some things at the wrong times or in the wrong place. In the climate where they're not going to work. Because you can read a lot of things on the internet and some of them are actually true. So you got to test out which ones are which. Right, but if you've never actually grown a garden, then it's it's just not what you think. Uh, I've grown gardens before. When I was a kid, we didn't really garden, but I had a potato patch for years. And uh, I grew really a lot of potatoes over the years. But that was really about all I did. I was not really... My family weren't into garden-fresh vegetables and stuff like that. Uh, They were more meat and potato type people, but part of meat and potatoes are potatoes. potatoes. So yeah, I grew a, I had about a, I want to say my patch was about 30 feet by 30 feet, which doesn't sound like much, but it's, that's a lot of potatoes. You can get a lot of potatoes out of that space. You can get a lot of potatoes, a couple, 300 pounds of potatoes out of there. Was not an unusual uh, dig for me in the fall. So that was mine. Now her family was completely different. They had a big garden. Big family, big garden. Grew all kinds of stuff. Couldn't afford the grocery bills if we hadn't. The garden was about an acre, which is a pretty good-sized garden. Uh, at least it was when I saw it. it may have that been. was about par for the course Yeah, when you saw it. Uh, and it was pretty well-diverse garden. I mean, your mom grew a lot of stuff. And dad. Yeah, your dad, yeah. But then he was retired, and he did a lot of the gardening. Yeah. 
He and always did a fair share of it. Both of them had a pretty, a pretty good uh, green thumb. Because they had many, many years of experience doing. You're gardening. not born with green thumbs. You grow them. You it develop did. them over time. Is your thumb green yet? It's a lot better than it was. I started out okay when I was a kid. I worked a lot in the garden, but I was a worker bee in the garden. I knew what to do because mom provided the tasks for the day. And I didn't pay a whole lot of attention until it was time for me to start doing my own gardening. Don't you wish you had? Don't you wish you had her knowledge? Yeah, of course. Aren't we all like that once we pass the age of 30 and realize how smart our parents were? Yeah, really. My mother mother was just the dumbest person on the planet until I turned about 30. And then she became smarter and smarter. Every year she got smarter. Retroactively. Funny how that works. Yeah. Yeah. But it turns out I had learned a few, a few things just accidentally along the way. A lot more things I either refreshed my memory or learned through mistakes when I started doing my own gardening. So I don't make nearly as many now just because you start to deplete the supply of available mistakes after a while <laughs> and make fewer. I'm good at the thing. a lot of the things I know how to do because I've already done most of the ways you can do it wrong and tried them. And now I don't anymore. So there's that. Yeah. So you learn a lot about how to do it and what suits you and what works in your area that you won't learn by reading. You won't learn by having that garden book on your shelf. You won't learn by having that can of seeds in the freezer. Those are all worth doing, but they're not alone. The good news is you don't have to, to devote a whole ton of space for learning. You can do it in a very limited amount of space. A couple of boxes that you can kind of hide from, hide from view. A couple of four by four boxes or four by eight boxes. You can do a lot of learning in those things. Even a little container gardening can be useful to you. Yeah, and pretty much everybody, no matter how strict the H, uh, HS or Homeowners Association (HOA), whatever they call it, how strict they are, you know, unless they're flying drones on your property, you can pretty much do a little something. So, you know, and there's other things that you can do to prepare for gardening if the stuff hits the fan that you may or may not have considered. One of those things, uh, we brought it up at the end of the last podcast, is making big prepared beds in which you grow perennial beautiful flowers. Yes, that's one of the best ways. Put them alongside fences, put them alongside houses, and make them look all beautiful and ornamental. Decorative flower islands in the middle of your yard. No homeowners association in the world objects to those. Yeah, as long as they're really pretty and, and, and they're appropriate for your for your neighborhood, you know what I'm saying? But you want to do perennials because you don't want to replant them every year. And you also want to do things that don't mess up your soil for uh, if you have to grow. Yeah, plants. roses, for example, like a soil that's more acidic than most other plants like. So I wouldn't necessarily make it a rose garden, but many flower species like the exact same kinds of conditions. As a matter of fact, I plant what are actually decorative flowers around the outside of many of my vegetable gardens because a lot of those decorative flowers deter insect pests. Actually, rose roses are the rose hearts are edible. So, yes, rose hips. Rose hips, yeah, hips, not hearts. Edible. So you can actually grow roses as a plant. Uh, that's another thing, too. If you're in an HSA or if you're in a neighborhood where it's really picky, there's HOA. a lot of plants that are out there that are decorative plants that are edibles. Yeah. So You'll find these beautiful purple 
and pink vein things called uh, flowering chards. Well, those are chards. You can eat them. I've tried it. They're not quite as tender as the ones that are grown for the garden, but they're the same species, and they're quite edible. A lot of cabbages are bees. Some of the herbs. Oh, my goodness. The bees love some of the herbs. So you're making this little pollinator-friendly garden spot, right? And you've got fresh herbs, which, by the way, tend to run several dollars for a small bundle. Uh, in, at least in, in our part of the world when you buy them at grocery stores. But believe me, you plant oregano or something like that, you're likely to have a super abundance. Make friends of all your Italian-loving. <laughs> Make all your Italian-loving friends love you. And you could put in, you could put in a lot of, a lot of herbs along fence lines, around corners, and stuff like that. Like you should probably, every everybody should have a mint plant. Many of the herbs are perennials. And uh, there's uh, several of those that are that, are very good, very healthy for you. Get a lot of micronutrients too. Yes, you do. Now another thing that you do. And prep foods are bland, so yes. having extra herbs to put on them makes them much more pleasant. We were talking about container gardening, things like tomatoes work very well. You have to water the heck out of them, but they work very well, and you can grow tomatoes. But growing tomatoes in a container teaches you how to grow tomatoes flat out. Mm -hmm. Okay, Those flowering pea varieties, some of them are considered ornamentals. You give them a, a nicely shaped trellis to grow up, and they actually are quite pretty, and they do attract bees and things. But then if you leave them there, they grow seed pods on them, and you eat them. So <laughs> that's kind of a split between an ornamental and a food plant. And those sorts of things are stealth preps, too. That also helps you get the tools. It gets the ground worked. It gets the soil amended so it can grow plants. And all of those things are going to be important if you ever need to grow food for real. Like, I don't know how it's going to work out this summer, but at the moment... I'm guessing that food prices are going to take a spike this summer because as we speak, Nebraska and Iowa just lost a whole bunch of their corn crop from floodwaters of quite remarkable dimensions for those places, getting into their silos and spoiling their silos. So, yeah, we can afford to buy food. Even food gets a lot more expensive this year. And that won't but, affect us quite as much because we use a lot of products with corn them. And, frankly, we don't store-bought meat. So. Yeah, meat is the thing that will go up most. Because of the corn. Also, some dairy and eggs because that's what they feed. Yeah, and, but and we don't eat meat, so corn prices are not going to all. Yeah. In fact, it'll be better for our area because we've got corn growers that didn't lose them. Still, prices are likely to go up, and if we were having... Trouble buying groceries to start with, that could be a problem, but not if we can grow our own. So, Another thing that uh, pre-prep your garden that has nothing to do with uh, actually planting a garden right now is to go ahead and buy yourself bunny fencing supplies. E. Uh, you can put it in your basement, you can put it in your shed. They're not expensive. They're not difficult. You can get the, you can get the little mesh fencing chicken wire or whatever it doesn't have to be that high it could be 18 inches high and get some poles that you can actually cut in half and use uh half a pole like electric fence post poles work fine and just wire up your bunny fences because you are depending upon living on some of your vegetables that you're growing you don't want the bunnies and early in the season they can trash the garden because they really they'll eat the sprouts down and also it'll keep out things like turtles. 
in some parts of the country, you have to worry about things like voles. And for those, I believe they use uh, what's called a hardwire cloth, a small square wire mesh. They put them on the bottom of their raised bed gardens so the voles don't dig under and come up underneath and eat their roots. Thankfully, that's not a problem we've had so far. You know, if you really, really actually want to prep a garden, there's all kinds you can have. If you have a garden shed, you can get her, get at the end of the season, it's dirt cheap, literally dirt. You can get all kinds of soil products that you can store. What do you mean by soil products? Soil. Topsoil, yeah. potting soil, uh, soil products. Yeah, they take a relatively large amount of space, but you can often get them for Pennies. Buy one get one free or way less than that. Yeah, I mean I've seen I've seen literally seen it pennies on the dollar. And as, we went home with a whole trunk full. And we does the long that, since been used up. Yep, they went into a, our storage container out at the place briefly, and then the next spring they went into the, all the trees I planted the next spring. Well, why not? Yep, that was the idea. You know, it's it's, it's as much as you have a place to store stuff that we we have to keep that in mind. Not everybody has. You know, an extra 30 acres that can store uh, fencing. That We got a bunch of fencing for free. A lot of our trees were fenced because somebody wanted to get rid of the deer fencing they had around their trees that grown beyond the need for them. So we got, what, 12 trees worth of fencing for no cost at all other than picking them up, yep. including the uh, T-posts to put them in. And that was several hundred dollars worth of materials. Yeah, a T-post driver. Is something that you can prep ahead of time. You may not think you'd need one, but they're really handy to have, and they can for all kinds of things. If you don't know what a T-post is, the uh, tall steel posts ah, that yeah. you see holding fencing up in many parts of the country, it's also the same kinds of posts that hold up road signs in many places. Fencing wire, enormously handy to have for many, many, many purposes. Pliers and cutters to go with them. Pliers and cutters, absolutely. So all this stuff... Here's something that doesn't take any storage space at all to speak of. Knowledge of what works in your area. And if you don't have the time or the space to develop that yourself, you can still go to farmer's markets. And farmers like to talk about growing their stuff. Gardeners like to talk about growing their stuff. Oh, absolutely. They love to talk about, wow, my tomatoes really didn't come in this year because blah, blah, blah. But we got Yours look so good. (laughs) Well, last year we had... Not very good tomatoes. We had a weird spring. But the thing that people always can't get rid of enough of were zucchini. Last year was a very bad zucchini. Except for us. We did better than usual. Well, we did, personally, because we well, we don't grow zucchini the way the a usual lot of people way. grow zucchini. Yeah. They got hit by uh, really bad by uh, fungus. And zucchini just withered last year for a lot of people. That's one of the things we've really taken to rotating. So the fungus is way down. So you can talk to people about what varieties grow in your area. And if you talk to the organic growers, you find out the things that don't need a lot of chemical sports. Because those chemical sports, if people are having to grow gardens for food, the uh, chemical supplies are going to be a lot thinner on the ground than they are now. That's right. And some of these chemicals you just can't store. They, they, They don't last more than you do. So you can't. Yeah. Put them in long-term storage. A lot of the organic stuff you can store for basically ever because it's, it is organic. It doesn't really break down. And some of it you can't, like some of neem it you oil can. breaks down. Yeah, neem oil breaks down 
two, three pretty years. quick. And the bacillus products break down pretty fast because they're live bacteria. But some things they're, you can store forever. Yeah, like Epsom salts. Will, would still be good if the Egyptians had put them in their pyramids. They'd still be good today. Because they're, you know, and Epsom salts, as it turns out, are a rich magnesium source. And they are a common cure for a, a frequently occurring tomato malady. You feed your tomatoes Epsom salts and you don't get that particular kind of wilt. So you talk to the organic growers. They know a lot about those kinds of things. They know a lot about companion planting and dispersed planting and other things that discourage the pests so you don't have to have the chemical methods to discourage the pests. You can learn a lot from them and uh, pick up a few fresh vegetables for dinner at the same time for not much cost. And that's a prep worth doing. Yeah. Uh, more information is something always use. You obviously want to have some gardening books and information in your library. You can... One of the things about gardening is it doesn't change all that much year over year. There are some few changes. For the most part, you know, the old farmers were able to, 80 years ago, grow, grow as good of gardens as they do today, for the most part. So really old information doesn't really matter. So if you want to find very, very, very inexpensive bunch of resource for gardening, the going to the library and, and every time you go to the library, go past the library, check out their discard books, you know, the ones that cost a, a dime, pass a dime and you can have the book kind of books. There's often all kinds of gardening books because gardening books are in the library. There's also tons of free information on the Internet, which, of course, isn't hard copy. Right, which but I'm a big fan of hard copy when it comes to some things. But, you know. A lot of times they've got, you can read through them and learn a lot, and then they'll have this, you know, brief chief, cheat sheet kind of thing that you could save hard co- or print out hard copy and, and keep. One of the things you really, really, really need to stone cold know is exactly what zone because so much of the information is tied to zones. And you really need to know. It's, it's something that will take two minutes to find out. But you need to know it. Yeah, a gardener friend of mine is uh, moving one state away. And his biggest concern about the move was he was moving two zones. And he didn't know what would grow up there. And that was a big uncertainty in his life. Changing jobs, changing houses, yeah, whatever. But my garden... Little girl, I don't know those plants. <laughs> Caused it, more angst than anything zones else. Zones make a big difference, too. They were- and you could have microclimates in areas where the zone in the bottom of a fairly well-shaded valley at the place is probably one zone different than what we see on the hilltops on the place, just because of the lack of light and the um, increased humidity from all the plant litter at the bottom and things like that. And it can also be a lar- much larger microclimate hits a certain particular area. For example, I got an example. You have probably, if you ever watched TV weather, uh, and they have the coldest place in the United States, continental United States, at half the time, literally half the time, is International Falls, Minnesota. In International Falls, Minnesota, there's lots of towns around International Falls, Minnesota, but International Falls, Minnesota is just plain colder than the town surrounding it. It makes you wonder. In fact, you can look at International Falls, Minnesota, and you can look at Thunder Bay. Uh, which is not far Ontario, off. Which, the, as the crow flies, is what, 35, 40 miles? Yeah. Not far at all. 
And Thunder Bay is actually a little north being in Canada. Not surprising. But it's not much north. It's a little north of International Falls. But there may be 15 to 20 degrees difference between the two, even though they're that close together. And Thunder Bay is warmer. There's some, yeah, Thunder Bay is warmer. There's just something about that particular spot. Where the air masses are impacted by the Great Lakes. And movement down from the north gets stalled, and it sits there over International Falls and sticks them in a deep freeze. Right. And although, for those of you who are uh, football fans, the great Bronco Nagurski is a (laughs) uh, native of the area of International Falls. So that's an important. If you're ever in International Falls, it's got two really unique things. One of which is the bridge between the United States and Canada is really weird because it's actually a bridge owned by a company. I believe it's Boise Cascade, a paper company, because they have plants on both sides of the river. So you can literally cross the border on a bridge that's in the middle of the factory. But they also have the Bronco Nagurski Museum. So everything you ever wanted to know about Bronco Nagurski, you learn at the Bronco Ski Museum. And I learned it all as we were just driving past it, because Salty is a font of information. Oh, yeah. I've got a, I've got a Bronco Nagurski story that I love to tell. It's one of my favorites. There's a Bronco, after he retired from professional football, played for the Bears, and then he, re- then he left and became a professional wrestler. Would, you could make a lot more money as a professional wrestler than in the National Football League at the time. And so Bronco became a professional wrestler. Then he came back and played football a little bit more. Then he went back and became a professional. But after his athletic career was over, he bought a gas station and operated a gas station in his hometown of International Falls. And there's a story, and I've no doubt that it is apocryphal, of somebody coming into town and asking, where, where can I go to get gas for my car? And they say, well, we have two gas stations, the one down the, the road and then that one over there that uh, uh, is Bronco Nagurski's. And the visitor said, well, okay, which one is usually uh, better? And they said, well, all the locals go to Bronco Nagurski's. Oh, yeah. Is it, is it cheaper? So, no, no. Usually Bronco is usually a, a penny or two more a gallon. And the, the visitor, visitor bit on it and asked, well, was he just super nice or something? No, no. Bronco's kind of a grouch, really, if you if you think about it. He really is. The uh, customer said, well, so why do all the locals go? And the, the guy telling the story kind of grins and says, well, you see, once your gas cap is put on your car by Bronco Nagurski. Ain't nobody but Bronco Nagurski getting it back off. <laughs> yeah, and back from the days when somebody actually filled, filled your gas filled for you. Filled your gas for you. At a gas station. Put on your gas cap. <sighs> well, we still have self-service in our town. We still have two gas stations. That do, or uh, full service. Two of the... Two, three. E. And a half. And a half. But anyway. And three quarters. Co-op has that card thing. Anyway, you can uh, Back figure out how to actually grow food when you don't have the time, or there are other constraints that you can't do it the most effective way, which is to practice it. You can still be ready to really do it if you need to do it. And of course, you've got your stealth preps too. Yeah, gardening. Think of gardening, but sprouting is gardening. Sprouting is something you could do. Year-round, sprouting is gardening. And it gives you fresh and nutritious stuff in the middle of winter, which can get quite welcome. 
I don't know if you've ever tried to live off prep food for very long at a time, but I I did it for a, a little while at the place, and it gets old pretty fast. You get to be happy to have some fresh stuff in a hurry. Okay, well, thank you for listening, and we'll see you next time.